The trade deadline has come and gone, and there was a lot of fireworks. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to a later edition of MLB Morning Coffee here on a Tuesday. My apologies for no recording yesterday and probably only one recording today. I promise, too, to give you a recap of the weekend. Honestly, my technology has just been really bad recently, so I'm glad that I was able to get everything working to do this episode, and I'm curious as to see how my recording equipment responds going forward. So we'll try and get a second episode out today to recap the last two days of games, but this guaranteed is going to be the one that you get. couple of reminders, make sure that you write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. It helps out our metrics tremendously, and make sure that you tell a friend to tell another friend about the show, and I promise you we're going to be getting back into some more core baseball here coming up. One news item that is outside of the trade deadline, the Oakland Athletics had a positive COVID test on Sunday. They were canceled against the Houston Astros. They are clear and ready to go, but they have a postponement against the Mariners tonight. They're going to have a postponement against the Mariners more than likely tomorrow, and they're not playing Thursday. So the A's are probably not going to be back in action until Friday at the latest, I would think. Maybe they end up playing a game against the Mariners, but who exactly knows what's going to happen. But what we do know is that COVID has now infiltrated the American League West, and hopefully it does not get any further than the Oakland A's. The Houston Astros have been self-isolating. It'll be curious to see if they have any positive COVID tests, but... At least for right now, it's just one player on one team. So let's get into all of the individual trades. And first, I want to start off by saying there were clear winners and there were clear losers at the trade deadline. So clear winner number one was San Diego, and I think that that's probably above all else. Winner number two, I think, was Miami. I'm not so sure yet on winner number three, but I can tell you that the biggest loser in the team that I was extremely surprised that they sold off what they did was Arizona. I think everybody coming into this year, regardless of what you thought the Padres were going to do and what the Rockies were going to do, I think everybody thought that Arizona was a playoff contender. Obviously not a division-winning contender, because I don't think anybody coming into the year thought that Even the Padres, as well as they're playing, could probably rival the Dodgers for the division. But I think at the same time, you looked at what Arizona did in the offseason, picking up Starling Marte, picking up Madison Bumgarner, and you thought this is a team that's going to be competitive. Their starting rotation is going to be decent, and their starting rotation has been, with the exception of Zach Gallen, it's been absolutely horrible. And one of the guys that they traded, Robbie Ray, this is a guy that, just completely underperformed and honestly kind of lost it. But before we go into my true winners and losers here, let's go through some of the trades. We got two days of trades to keep you caught up on. August 30th, so we'll start with Sunday's trades because we didn't get a chance to cover those yesterday because my computer and my recording equipment apparently hate me. (laughs) Tommy Malone from the Orioles to the Braves for two players to be named later. This is low-cost rotation depth. Now, I want to specify this as well. The reason as we go through these trades that you're going to see a lot of player-to-be-named laters is that because of the rules regarding the 60-man player pool, a team cannot trade a player outside of the 60-man player pool during the season. So when you see 
players to be named later, more than likely those players have already been named, but they're players that have been outside of the 60-man player pool. So hopefully that gives you an understanding in terms of the terminology. So the Braves pick up Tommy Malone from an Orioles team that, look, they're hovering around 500. Maybe they have an outside chance of making the playoffs. I think at this point in the American League, you're looking at the Central as the division that's probably going to have at least three playoff teams, being the White Sox, the Indians, and the Twins. And then the AL West, I just don't see anybody else catching the Astros or the A's. And every other team in that division is below 500. So in the AL East, you've got a very competitive division because you've got three teams over 500, the Yankees, the Rays, and the Blue Jays. And then you've got the Orioles, who are hovering around 500, but clearly in the first month of the season played over their head. So Tommy Malone was a low-cost acquisition for Baltimore, so they didn't really feel a need to hold on to him. But the Braves get some much-needed rotation depth. They've gotten injuries from Mike Soroka and Cole Hamels. They DFA'd Mike Fultonevich. They're basically relying on Max Freed, Josh Tomlin, and Robbie Erlin right now. And I don't know at this point that you want Josh Tomlin being a centerpiece of your rotation. So I look at this as Atlanta getting some rotation depth to help bolster them for the playoffs. Like looking at the National League East right now, the Braves are by far the best team, and it's not even close, which is surprising because the Phillies have played well, but the Phillies are a 500 ball club. The Marlins have played over their heads, and the Nationals have been extremely disappointing. Although, based on some of the trades that the Mets made, you would think that they were in it too. All right, next trade. Cubs acquire Jose Martinez from the Rays for two players to be named later. This is an interesting trade because I think that Martinez who was with the Cardinals for four years, was dealt to Tampa Bay in the offseason. He had a really difficult time adjusting in Tampa Bay. The Cubs know him. They have familiarity with him. They get themselves another bat because the Cubs have had some surprising offensive struggles from guys like Chris Bryant and Javier Baez, and Bryant obviously is injured right now. Steven Souza Jr., a low-cost acquisition for them, is also injured. The Rays are able to open up a spot for Randy Arozanera, who was recalled from the team's alternate training site. Everybody likes this guy. I think that Martinez was expendable. Two players to be named later. It's going to be less obvious what the Rays get back in return here because the Cubs just do not have a very good farm system at this point in the Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer regime. So low-cost acquisition for the Cubs. I think the Rays probably feel like Martinez was expendable, and they're playing well enough without him being a centerpiece of the lineup. So next trade, and this is where we get into some of the big trades with the Padres. Padres pick up Mitch Moreland from the Red Sox for prospects Hudson Potts and Jason Rosario. Mitch Moreland is having a fantastic year. He's got a club option for 2021 that's only $3 million. So Mitch Moreland is having a really good year on a bad Red Sox team, and he is a guy that you can keep around for next year. He's another bat at first base. He's another guy that you can put in the DH role. Now, it's interesting. I'm not so sure that Moreland is on this team next year, depending upon what happens with the DH rule in the National League. 
the DH rule, the universal DH that was put in for this year, is only contractually stipulated for this year. If it is in for next year and future years going forward in the National League, I think that this is a guy that you keep around. It's only one more year. It's only $3 million. But I don't know how you can justify having him and Eric Hosmer both on the roster, especially with Hosmer having the bigger contract, if you can't have one of those guys as the DH. This is a great trade for Boston because you get two of San Diego's top 20 prospects. Potts was 16th. Rosario was 19th. Potts has a little bit more of an established reputation at this point as a prospect. Rosario's got a high upside as well. So for Boston, they're a team that is basically going to be starting over. They're going to be trying to dump as much of their potential big contracts, looking at you, J.D. Martinez, as they can. And Heim Bloom is going to try and do what he did in Tampa and rebuild from the ground up. So I think this is a great trade for both sides. Let's move on to this other trade. The Rockies pick up Michael Givens from the Orioles for Tyler Nevin, Taryn Vavra, and a player to be named later. Givens is a veteran reliever. Again, Baltimore in clear sell-off mode now. Has a really good season going this year. He's got a 138 ERA in 12 appearances, 19 Ks in 13 innings. He's got a 37.3% strikeout rate that's 19th in the bigs. The Rockies clearly a team that needs bullpen depth, so I like this move for them. You give up a couple of significant prospects, though. Vavro is the 7th-ranked prospect. Nevin was the 14th-ranked prospect. So, again, if you're dealing at this deadline, given everything that's gone on in the 2020 season and what the scale of the season represents, then you're basically going to have to give up a little bit more than you bargained for. But I think the Rockies at this point figure that they can be a contender for the 7 or the 8 spot in the National League playoffs. Because I think at this point, Colorado has fallen back enough to the point where it's pretty clear the top two dogs in the NL West are the Padres and the Dodgers. But the Rockies are still a decent team. They're just not the team that got off to the 11-3 and start and then all of a sudden fell to below 500. they They're a 500 ball club, and in a year like this, just above 500 is going to get you into the playoffs. So now the Padres make two more deals on August 30th. This was an amazing deadline for A.J. Preller. So let's go with the least significant one first. The Padres pick up Jason Castro, veteran catcher from the Angels, for Gerardo Reyes. Now Gerardo Reyes, he's a guy that's a middle reliever, nothing too significant. But Jason Castro, he's hitting just 192. He's got an on-base of 323, though. So for me, I am looking at this deal as the Padres trying to get a veteran catcher because both of their catchers that they had, I say had, no longer have, because both of those guys are very young players, Francisco Mejia and Austin Hedges. So Castro is a veteran catcher. Low-cost move, but then you figure out, all right, one of those catchers has got to go down, One of them might get traded. And then you get this deal. The Padres pick up Austin Nola, Austin Adams, and Dan Altavilla. So a catcher and two relievers in exchange for outfield prospect Taylor Trammell, catching prospect Luis Torrens, Andres Munoz, a right-handed reliever, and Ty France, who was a big league utility guy, could play the corner infield. 
Trammell was a big part of the trade last year that sent Franmil Reyes to Cleveland. So Trammell gets picked up from the Indians, spends basically a half season in the Padres minor league system before this year, and then he gets dealt to Seattle. Trammell is a guy that is the number five prospect in the Padres system now by MLB Pipeline and number 60 overall. So he's got upside and a chance to be a part of their starting outfield in the future. The Padres gave up a big prospect to get a veteran catcher in NOLA and two back-end bullpen arms. Look, this deadline was clearly the Padres trying to shore up their bullpen and their starting rotation, and I'll get to that trade a little bit later. You're probably listening to this and figure, oh, okay, I already know what trade he's going to talk about, but just let me get to it. You pick up another veteran catcher, so clearly you're trying to make a change with what you're doing at catcher, which is intriguing because maybe they want more veteran pitch handlers at this point to try and settle down a pitching staff that has been extremely inconsistent. So I look at that and I see the Padres giving up a lot of their future, especially Trammell, for guys that are meant to help now. Now, Altavilla and Adams are guys that are under control for a little bit, so more than likely I think they're going to be all right. Oh, and by the way, Austin Nola is under team control through the 2025 season. He can also play first base, and he can also play other positions around the field. So pretty pure utility guy. Now we go to yesterday's trades. Start off with a really insignificant one. The Giants pick up Anthony Bonda from the Rays for cash. So the Rays, despite how injured their pitching staff has been, and the fact that they're in first place, they traded away a reliever. Now, Bonda can also start. He came up in the Diamondback system, and he's a guy that just does not have the type of success that has warranted the Rays giving him more opportunities. He's only pitched in seven innings this year for Tampa Bay. I think the Rays probably figured this is a guy that we can get some cash for, not a part of our future, Giants, it's Farhan Zaidi just picking up another guy for the sake of picking up a guy because that's what he does. Now our next trade, the Reds pick up Brian Goodwin from the Angels for, this is a great name, Packy Naughton and a player to be named later. So when the Angels called up Joe Adele, that basically said that Brian Goodwin is expendable. And so they deal him to a team that is still trying to add a little bit. And the Reds need a little bit of outfield depth. Shogo Akiyama has struggled, and Mark Payton's a rookie. And Mark Payton I had a chance to cover in Cape League ball. I think Mark Payton has a chance to be a solid fourth outfielder. I don't see Mark Payton as a guy that's going to be a franchise changer. So the Reds, even though that they're four games under five hundred, they're still trying to go for it. So... Props to Cincinnati for picking up a guy that can help make their everyday lineup a little bit better. And the Angels pick up a left-handed pitching prospect that had a good season at AA last year, 3.66 ERA in 19 starts. So this is clearly the Reds trying to go for it, and the Angels figuring we've got our right fielder of the future. We are done with Brian Goodwin, and I understand that. Two trades here from the Cubs. 
They pick up Josh Osich from the Red Sox for a player to be named later or cash. So the Cubs have very little in terms of left-handed relief options, and Osich gives them one. And Osich has not been very good this year. He had a couple of good years with the Giants, but this is a guy that, and granted, I know that lefty specialist is not a term that is going to be used much with this new three-batter minimum rule, which I actually think is going to go away. I don't think that that rule is going to last. Osich is a guy that he's a guy. I mean, you traded him for a player to be named later or cash. This is a guy that's probably better than what you already had. And the Red Sox, there's no use keeping around a veteran left-handed reliever who has a 5.74 ERA in 15 and two-thirds innings. Now, the Cubs also picked up Andrew Chafin from the D-backs and Cash for a player to be named later or Cash. So I don't know why you'd be trading Cash for Cash. So more than likely, it's going to be a player to be named later. Chafin is on the injured list right now. He has had a bad year out of the Diamondbacks' bullpen, but he has a 3.68 ERA lifetime over seven seasons. He's been very good on lefties in his career. So the Cubs are banking on him coming back and being as effective as he has been before this year. Again, the Cubs making a deal that is going to bring somebody that's better than what they already had. I fully suspect, even though he's pitching out of the bullpen right now, that Jose Quintana is going to go back into the Cubs starting rotation I just don't know how much longer they can roll with Tyler Chatwood in that rotation. He had two good starts to the year, and everybody thought, oh, hey, Tyler Chatwood's back to being a really good player. And Tyler Chatwood really has not been good in the last couple of starts. So I clearly think that this is a guy that is more than likely going to be filling that spot in the bullpen currently occupied by Quintana. So now you've got three options. you got Chafin, Osich, and Kyle Ryan who was already there. And I want to point out that the reason why the Cubs picked up these two guys is that they aren't worth very much in terms of their return. The Cubs do not have a whole lot to play with in their minor league system. So these are two guys that don't cost the Cubs anything. If they're good, great. If they're not, your bullpen isn't any worse than it was before. The Cubs bullpen is not very good. Here's another Padres Mariners trade. Taylor Williams, the Mariners' closer, for a player to be named later. So, Taylor Williams, again, a guy that is adding bullpen depth to a bullpen that has really struggled. And San Diego has pretty much tried to remake their entire pitching staff. So, it's a player to be named later. He's had control problems during his career. He's walked seven batters and thrown six wild pitches in 13 and two-thirds innings, but He's got a 3 ERA over his first 12 innings. He allowed five runs in the bottom of the ninth against the Padres on Thursday, but Taylor Williams, a low-cost acquisition, and the Mariners are not going to be in it, so can't say that I blame them for trading away a guy that probably wasn't going to be a huge part of their future. But, hey, my guy Art Warren, maybe he can be the closer now. I'd love that. Our next trade, the Brewers trade David Phelps to the Phillies for three players to be named later. David Phelps seems to be a guy. The Mariners did this with him a couple of years ago. They traded four prospects for him. One of them, Pablo Lopez, who is now in their starting rotation. 
I honestly am very confused as to why people keep giving up lots of prospects for David Phelps. He's been good, but he's a 33-year-old reliever. He's a guy that just keeps getting traded. And there were rumors that the Brewers were going to sell off a little bit because with Lorenzo Cain opting out of the season and the Brewers just not being the same team that they were last year or better yet, the year before, they can make the playoffs. But I don't think anybody sees Milwaukee as a team that is going to win anything. So they figured, let's dump some salary. He has a $4.5 million team option for 2021 that the Phillies will gladly pick up because the Phillies are going to spend money. Philadelphia trying to shore up their bullpen and make a run at the NL East. So depends on who the three players are. If they're high-level prospects, you gave up too much. If they're guys that have a high upside but are in low A, I can understand why you'd make that move. Now, the Mets. What the heck are the Mets doing? So the Mets pick up Miguel Castro from the Orioles for lefty Kevin Smith and a player to be named later or Cash. So the Mets get some bullpen depth. He's been pretty good for Baltimore this year, and he's under control through 2022. So somewhat like the Mets did with Marcus Stroman last year, and that trade certainly didn't work out, they pick up a guy that they're hoping they can use in the future. Kevin Smith is a guy that was the Mets' 12th-ranked prospect and part of a trade that could give the Orioles some depth in terms of their rebuild. Then the Mets decide to go out and get Robinson Chirinos from Texas along with Todd Frazier for cash and two players to be named later. So the way that this is framed online, it looks like these were two separate trades, even though they look like they're the same trade. I have absolutely no idea why they feel like they need to bring back Todd Frazier. He's already been with the Mets. He's, you know, he is what he is at this point in his career. His club option for next year is $5.75 million, and he's only hit two homers this year. His buyout on that club option is $1.5 million. Robinson Terranios spent all of last season with Houston. He comes back to the Rangers where he was before on a one-year $6.5 million deal. So the Mets had to put Thomas Nito on the injured list, so they needed another catcher. New York is acting like they're in this. So, hey, you bring in two veterans? Hope it works out for you guys. I'm not necessarily sure that this is the right move. And quite frankly, I don't think that it's going to make a world of difference. You know, you are invested in a lot of your younger guys, the Pete Alonzos and the Dominic Smiths of the world. I don't know what bringing in a half season of Robinson Chirinos and potentially a year plus of Todd Frazier is going to do for you long term. Keyword, it's not. And the Mets are not the team that has the type of talent that is going to compete long term. Although I do think at this point, they're basically desperate to not waste the prime years of Jacob deGrom. So here's an interesting trade. The Blue Jays acquire Ross Stripling from the Dodgers for two players to be named later. Stripling's a guy that can start. He can also come out of the bullpen. In 2020, he has a 5-6-1 ERA. 
He has yielded an MLB worst 12 home runs. He has K'd only 27 batters with 11 walks in 33 and two-thirds innings. So Ross Stripling is a guy that got off to a great start this year, but has really been bad over the last two weeks. And the Dodgers have got so much organizational depth, they figured, hey, the Blue Jays would value him more than we would. So thanks for the memories, Ross Stripling. Here you go. A curious move, to say the least, but a move that, to me, says the Blue Jays think that they have a chance to make the playoffs this season. Stripling's a guy that is probably going to go to the bullpen because they also picked up Robbie Ray in addition to Taiwan Walker. The Blue Jays have had starting pitching injuries, and they've got a lineup that is young, talented, feisty. They figure they're playing decent baseball, and the rest of the American League is not that strong. They've got a chance to make the playoffs, so why not? And I think that the Blue Jays, with a pretty solid farm system, they're willing to give up two players to be named later for a guy that could help their bullpen depth and possibly start. All right, here's a trade I'm going to spend very little time on. Cubs pick up Cameron Mabin from the Tigers for Zach Short. The Cubs needed a fourth outfielder. Albert Almora Jr. has been terrible. Cameron Mabin is a guy that you pick up when you need a fourth outfielder. Hey, we need a fourth outfielder. Let's go get Cameron Mabin. Cameron Mabin is joining his ninth big league team. He is going to join Jose Martinez in the lineup, and he'll probably be a guy that can fill in in a lot of places. Zach Short, the guy that gave up for him, a minor league prospect that the Cubs have no idea what is going to happen with him. So the Cubs getting two bullpen arms and Cameron Mabin for not a whole lot. Now, let's go to the Rockies trade. They pick up Kevin Pillar from the Red Sox for a player to be named later and international pool money. So Pillar signs a one-year deal with the Red Sox after having a really solid season after being traded from the Blue Jays to the Giants. He's been pretty good in Boston so far. He has started over 700 games in center field throughout his career, and basically they wanted some outfield depth because they've been having to use Garrett Hampson and Sam Hilliard in center since David Dahl went on the IL a couple of weeks ago. So this is going to give you a guy that can play in everyday center field until Dahl gets back, and he's a rental. It's a guy on a one-year deal. You really didn't give up much for him, and the Rockies are trying to make the playoffs. So I like this. And Boston didn't have a long-term investment in Kevin Pillar. Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to be their primary center fielder. And in left field, it'll be Andrew Benintendi. And I think they'll try and get rid of J.D. Martinez, although I know J.D. Martinez wasn't playing a whole lot of outfield to begin with. But Kevin Pillar is a guy that you bring in if you want to be competitive now. And the Red Sox are one of the worst teams in the American League. By record, they are the worst team in the American League. So... Why not? You get a player to be named later, money to go sign somebody in the international market, and in exchange, you get a guy that, if you're the Rockies, is going to be a plug-and-play outfielder and makes you that much better. So, good move for them. The Reds pick up Archie Bradley from the Diamondbacks for Stuart Fairchild and Josh Van Meter. So, let's go with the other two guys first. Fairchild is the 11th-ranked prospect in the Red system. 
Van Meter has played 109 games for Cincy over the past two years. He's played five different positions, so he's a utility guy. The Reds are going for it. They wanted bullpen depth, and Rysel Iglesias and Michael Lorenzen have not been good. Archie Bradley has been an elite closer over the last couple of years. He's had a couple of rough outings this year, but again, the Diamondbacks did not see Archie Bradley apparently as a part of their future or as a part of their now, so Arizona's kind of a team without a direction, so they trade Archie Bradley for two guys they figure can be fundamental pieces of their future, and I just, you know, I understand the trade if you're the Reds. I just don't get it if you're the Diamondbacks. This is a staple of your bullpen, so to me, Arizona, there's some concern to be had if you're a Diamondbacks fan because I don't know what the heck they're doing after going out and getting Starling Marte and Madison Bumgarner. Oh, and by the way, let's go to these two trades. The Marlins pick up Starling Marte from the Diamondbacks for Caleb Smith, Humberto Mejia, and a player to be named later. So the Diamondbacks pick up Marte from the Pirates for two minor leaguers and international pool money, and then they flip him to the Marlins for three guys. Marte has a club option for next year that's at $12.5 million with a $1 million buyout. Basically, the Diamondbacks didn't see him as a part of their future. They picked him up to win this year, and now they're trading him to a team that has a better chance of making the playoffs than the Diamondbacks do. And I don't think anybody at the start of the year would have thought that the Marlins have a better chance of making the playoffs than the Diamondbacks. So the Marlins are just a game below 500. They are tied with the Phillies for the last spot in the National League playoffs. Marte's a guy that is going to make this team a lot better. He is a solid major league outfielder and a good bat and somebody that will be your third or fourth place hitter when he comes to Miami. Now, Caleb Smith and Humberto Mejia are two really young guys. Well, Smith is 29. So he's got club control through 2023. He's got a strikeout per nine innings rate of 10. Mejia made his big league debut earlier this year, and he's 23. So again, pretty clear the Diamondbacks are going for the future. Now, interestingly enough, the Marlins pick up Starling Marte, and then they ship off Jonathan VR to Toronto for a player to be named later. VR is going to slot in at shortstop with Bo Bichette on the IL for Toronto. And VR will become that utility guy once Bichette comes back. He can play second, he can play third, he can play center field. VR is a guy that can play all over the diamond. So I'm not exactly sure why the Marlins felt like they needed to trade him now. Because if they pick up a guy like a Starling Marte, given all of the guys that they lost during the COVID outbreak... I don't understand why you wouldn't want to keep this guy around. But, hey, the Blue Jays figure that he's a valuable piece and he's not a part of Miami's future. So the Marlins are trying to go for it while also selling off. So, again, it's the Marlins. Blue Jays also made another deal where they acquired Robbie Ray from the Diamondbacks for Travis Bergen and Cash. So Robbie Ray is a guy that was a very good MLB starter at one point. He is having a horrible year this year. He has issued a major league worst 
31 walks in 31 innings. And he has got an 11% walk rate to all batters he's faced in his career. Robbie Ray has got really good stuff, very poor command. Blue Jays needed another starting pitcher, and the Diamondbacks at this point don't see any value of keeping him around. Now again, you also now have Madison Bumgarner under contract for the next four years after this year. So you're basically still paying a veteran starter with a hefty contract, and Robbie Ray is clearly not a part of their future. So the Diamondbacks are going to roll with Zach Gallen, Madison Bumgarner, Merrill Kelly, Luke Weaver, and starter X that you plug in here. So even if the Diamondbacks were in it, Robbie Ray is not going to be a part of their success. He's just been absolutely awful. Travis Bergen is a guy that has made 22 career appearances. He has also struggled with command, but he's got really good stuff. So they're taking a flyer on a guy like him. So the Diamondbacks basically just said, thanks for the memories, and see you later, Robbie Ray. Another starter for the Blue Jays, I think it's a worthwhile acquisition. The Oakland A's are a team that needed rotation depth, and they picked up Mike Miner for the Rangers for two players to be named later. Mike Miner has had a solid career, and he had a solid year last year, a 3.59 ERA with 200 strikeouts in 208 and a third innings pitched. But he's been really bad this year. He's got a 5.6 ERA, and his fastball is not nearly as good as it once was. He's a high upside guy, very low risk, that provides rotation depth for Oakland, who just always, it seems like, in the last couple of years, needs a starter. Sean Manaya has been very disappointing this year. They have not gotten a consistent performance out of Frankie Montas in the last couple of starts. The A's are a team that just is trying to scrap together a rotation that'll be good enough to compete in the playoffs. They've got a solid lineup, but their starting pitching has been suspect over the last couple of years, and Sean Manaya is not the ace lefty that I think that everybody thought he was going to be three years ago. Sean Manaya has suffered injuries, and Mike Miner is a guy that is going to get you through the rest of the season at a very low cost. And now, the final trade, the biggest trade, Snoochie Boochies, Mike Clevenger, along with Greg Allen and a player to be named later, go from the Indians to the Padres for Austin Hedges, Josh Naylor, Cal Quantrill, Gabriel Arias, Joey Cantillo, and Owen Miller. Wow. Let me start off by saying this. This is the type of prospect haul that you get for somebody with the ability level that is better than Mike Clevenger. This is the type of prospect haul that you get for a Justin Verlander or a Garrett Cole or a Zach Greinke or maybe lesser to a Johnny Cueto. Mike Clevenger is a very solid pitcher, but Mike Clevenger is not an ace. You just gave up high-level prospects and functioning major league players for a number two starter. Clevenger has two more years of team control, so he'll be in the Padres rotation for the next two-plus seasons. He's a solid pitcher. He's very good when he's at his best, and I think he wore out his welcome in Cleveland after he and Zach Plesak broke protocol. And Cleveland is an organization that develops pitching very well. So let's look at this from the Cleveland side of things. Mike Clevenger, they didn't want anymore. Cal Quantrill 
and Joey Cantillo were guys. You know, Quantrill's a former first-round draft pick, a former top-ten pick by the Padres, former Stanford ace. This is a guy that has a chance to be a starting pitcher. He's been a bullpen guy in San Diego. He has a chance to be a part of their rotation moving forward. I don't know much about Cantillo, but I know that he is a top 15 prospect. Arias is a very young guy, but has a chance to be their shortstop of the future in a couple years if they don't re-sign Francisco Lindor. Owen Miller, a guy that had a very good year at AA last year. Josh Naylor, a big league outfielder who's got a lot of power. Austin Hedges is a big league catcher who's also got a lot of power. And Hedges is very interesting to me because you picked up two veteran catchers. Jason Castro is not going to be in San Diego past this year. Austin Nola will. And Francisco Mejia is the guy that I think that they want to be their franchise catcher. And by the way, Francisco Mejia came from Cleveland to San Diego last year. This is a gigantic haul for... Cleveland. But the Padres farm system still remains top three. They dropped from, I think, one to three, even after trading away guys like Quantrill, Arias, Cantillo, and Miller. Greg Allen is a solid fourth outfielder, and Cleveland is going to give up one more player to go to the Padres in this trade. That just has not been decided yet. San Diego gave up a lot, but I don't think they give up Hedges, Naylor, Quantrill if they don't feel like they already have the pieces to compete now and to compete in the future. I still think that they'll regret at some point trading Naylor and Hedges, but if they feel good about their outfield situation and they feel good about their catching situation, obviously they completely remade their catching situation. They feel like this is a move that they can make to get an elite starting pitcher relative to what they had. So I'd say your big winners at the trade deadline are going to be the Padres, the Marlins, because the Marlins picked up Starling Marte, and they feel like that was a net positive over Jonathan VR. and I think if Starling Marte goes anywhere, he's going to make a big impact. So I go with those two teams. The Padres, obviously, winners because they picked up so many guys, and they're basically going for it right now. You can be critical of the fact that they traded away some top prospects and productive big league guys or the potential to be productive big league guys like a Josh Naylor, an Austin Hedges, a Ty France. But San Diego said, we're throwing the chips in now. We think that we can win this thing in the next two to three years, which is basically what you did when you picked up Mike Clevenger. You've got team control on him until the end of the 2022 season. So that's your window if you're San Diego. That is the window that you get for what you have now acquired. So I'd say Padres, big winners, Marlins, significant winners. Reds are probably amongst my winners as well because they pick up a solid outfielder and a closer while not giving up very much and keeping the core that they built intact for the future. Another winner for me at the trade deadline, without a doubt, the Seattle Mariners. The Seattle Mariners are not winning this year, but the Mariners have now acquired some guys that are going to be a big part of a youth movement that has a lot of really solid talent. They've got a lot of talent. So I'm looking at the Mariners now, especially with Taylor Trammell, and thinking you're going to have an outfield in maybe beginning of 2022 
that has the potential to have Kyle Lewis, Jared Kelenic, Taylor Trammell. It is all good if you're a Mariners fan. It's going to take a while before you're able to compete, but you're a team that is really going to be solid moving into the future. And I have no issue with them making these moves this year because they're not going to make the playoffs. And even if they did, they're not going to win anything. So my losers of the trade deadline. Obviously, the Arizona Diamondbacks have to be number one because they just decided, you know, we're not going to have a chance to win this year. Our plan is completely in flux. So let's just sell off the pieces that we can and see what we've got going into next year. I think there's a big question mark in regards to what they're doing. Another loser at the deadline. Two losers, I'm going to say. The Twins and the White Sox. The Twins desperately needed another starter, in my opinion, and so did the White Sox. Both could have used some bullpen depth as well. Neither did anything. The Twins have proven that they're a team that doesn't win a whole lot of ball games if they're not hitting home runs. The White Sox have got a very solid lineup, but even with their bullpen being as solid as it has without Aaron Bummer, they still could have used another starter. But they just may not have had the pieces to be able to pick up the starter that's going to be better than a Gio Gonzalez. And Chicago, I think, feels like they have pieces of a rotation that's going to be intact for a couple years with Lucas Giolito, Dallas Keuchel, Dylan Cease, Dane Dunning, and then Gio Gonzalez for this year. Moving into the future, Garrett Crochet, their first-round pick from this year, is a guy that could make an impact. they got a couple other guys that could be solid moving forward. But if you wanted to win this year, they didn't do what was right, and I just don't see the Twins as being a team that is going to have enough to be the best team in baseball. The New York Yankees didn't make any moves. They are a solid baseball team as they come, but they are riddled with injuries. So they feel good with their organizational depth. I'm not going to call them a loser at the trade deadline. I'm just going to say that they're satisfied with where they're at. The Tampa Bay Rays have got a ton of pitching injuries, and they have a chance to be a World Series contender. They didn't pick up anybody. They traded away two guys. So curious as to what Tampa Bay is doing as well. Maybe there are teams out there that feel like it's not worth it to give up a lot in this year's market given how the playoffs are a complete crapshoot. You know, you're going to have eight teams in each league fighting for the playoffs. The first round is going to be a best-of-three series. That's a normal series. You could be the team that gets in as the eight team, you pick up all these guys just to get in, maybe with a record barely above 500. You lose two out of three, your season's over. And you've given up a big part of your future. So I understand teams not going for it at the deadline. Another team that I was very surprised didn't make any moves was the St. Louis Cardinals. Although I feel like the Cardinals are probably at a point where they've got so many games that they got to make up. They just don't know how they're going to survive playing all of these games in so few days in September and how they will go about making this a functional season for them when they're just going to be worn out. Other teams that I'm surprised didn't make a move, I'm looking down the list here about what teams are in contention, what teams think they should be in contention. 
the Braves made one move. I feel like they're probably pretty solid with where they're at from a lineup standpoint. The Nationals, I I understand not selling off when you're the defending World Series champions, but there were a lot of teams that were very interested in Asdrubal Cabrera, and the fact that Asdrubal Cabrera did not get traded, a little bit surprising. I was also surprised that the Giants didn't try and trade Johnny Cueto, although I don't know how many people wanted to pick up his $21.6 million year for next year. That, I think, was a big factor in the Giants not selling him off, or Kevin Gaussman, for that matter. Kevin Gaussman's a guy that's been very solid. He's on a one-year deal and could provide a really good one-month rental. But the Giants also weren't able to get rid of Jeff Samarja, who is in the last year of his contract and has been absolutely horrible. So the trade deadline is an absolute crapshoot, at least this year. How big of an effect it has, I don't know. I should also highlight this. The Cleveland Indians are huge winners in this. Maybe not for this year, even though they're still competitive for this year, but they picked up some guys that are going to make them an extremely solid and solidified team for the next few years. And I think Cleveland, despite people wondering why they traded away Corey Kluber and why they're not going to keep Francisco Lindor, they've picked up enough talent to where they're going to be fine moving forward. It's September 1. We've got less than a month left in Major League Baseball's regular season. That, to me, is amazing. How it shakes out? Nobody knows. Thanks for listening to the Trade Deadline Special here on MLB Morning Coffee. We are going to get back to the recap starting tomorrow. Yes, I promise you we have not forgotten about them. We're getting back on the horse. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the AM. Black Lives Matter.